every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. The administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that. Hi, welcome to High Turnout Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. With me is my co-host. Eric Fay, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri. And today we're really excited to have Jess Cohn talking to us. She is the elections manager for CIS and is going to be talking to us about EI ISAC. So thank you very much for joining us today. And we always ask our first question, which is how did you end up working on election stuff in the first place? Not to mimic everyone that you've had on before me. Um, but I, I think I have to, I think I have to say that it was coincidental, it was accidental, but it was intentional. So my previous position at my old company, I, I did a lot with policy. And so when I joined CIS or the Center for Internet Security, it was two days before the elections infrastructure ISAC was actually launched. And they thought, wow, you have a really great policy background and we want our elections department to be really policy focused and not partisan or political. You'd be perfect. And I said, oh, well, elections are a little different than policy. However, it was 2014, 2015, I really started to get like a fire in my belly about advocacy for different areas that I find interesting and areas that I really care about. And obviously, the 2016 election had a lot of buzz around it and a lot of attention. And so when I had the opportunity to think, to join a group of people who cared about securing elections, really a no-brainer. And so what started as a happy accident, now I'm full-blown and I don't see myself exiting, at least anytime soon. <laughs> Can you tell everybody what CIS is? Are you the federal government? Are you somebody else? What is it? Because I think there are still a good amount of election administrators that couldn't exactly tell you what it is. You're exactly right. There is a lot of confusion about the three arms of CIS. So CIS is the Center for Internet Security. They nonprofit to offer low and no cost security issues to folks. But there are two departments that fall under CIS. And that is the MSISAC, which is the Multi-State Information Sharing and Analysis Center. And the EISAC, which is the manager that I'm of, is the Elections Infrastructure Information Sharing and Analysis Center. And so the EI and the MSISAC, we are federally funded by CISA to provide no-cost federally funded cybersecurity resources to state, local, tribal, and territorial governments. And the EIISAC focuses just on election offices. So we offer information sharing, threat intelligence, services that they can implement on their systems. And again, it is at no cost because it comes from your taxpayer dollars. It's kind of this well-known secret, which I don't really want us to be a secret anymore. I would love for us to be more of a household name, especially in these smaller election jurisdictions, so they know that they have a support system to go to when it comes to security issues around elections. Do you have any specific antidotes that you can share from 2020? Because I know you offer like tangible things. 
the cybersecurity situation awareness room. So we do hold up a situation room, absolutely, on election day. And this goes for odd years and even years. When there's an election, a statewide election or a special election, we can open what we call the situation room, where it's a room where the ISAC, appropriate federal partners, and the election officials and technical staff that support election offices can join where they can share threat intelligence or any type of information in real time. So cyber incidences, they don't know boundaries like physical threats do. And so responding incredibly quickly is very important. So it's great to just have everybody in this one virtual room where we can share information as it's happening. So then technical and election official folks know, should they be focusing on this? Is it something that's actually not important? Is it something else? And just to save time so they can really focus on um, administering their elections. So that is something we can do for every election official across the country. And we do those on odd years too. So people say, oh, 2020 is over. You must, you must be taking a break. It must be nice for you. And I think the two of you know better than I do that elections happen every year, not just federal years. So I'm curious, you stand up this situation room on election days. Could you in general speak to examples of things that have occurred on election day that have come through the situation room that has been beneficial in helping a, a state or a election jurisdiction and remedying an issue on election day? It's also a great place that people tend to start sharing physical threats as well. Um, there was a time that power went out at a polling site. And of course, there's this area wondering, am I being hacked? Is this a cyber situation? What's going on? And unfortunately, it was just a dearly departed squirrel that had found themselves on the wrong power line. And so the technical team was able to say, okay, we're not, we're not under attack. This is just a situation. We have to then resolve the issue and move elsewhere, find backup generators to make sure that we have power. And that's also something that has been seen with the unrest that's gone on in the last couple of years or it's a great way for folks to say, you know, I'm seeing this IP kind of knocking at my door a lot. Is anybody else seeing this IP on their system? Should we be worried? Is this a cause for concern? Is this a malicious IP? And it turns out it had been penetration testing that they had signed up for. However, they didn't communicate, please don't do this testing during election time. And so it was able, they were able to say, hey, I, I, you know, I routed this IP back to this. It was actually people we hired to do this testing and scanning. It's not malicious. But being able to share that with states across the country, they can then focus on real threats that could possibly happen and not not false positives. They can really put their attention on matters that they need to focus on. So one of the things that I think we hear a lot from other local election authorities, some that are already members of EIISAC, but some that are curious about becoming members of EIISAC, is that it is very technically based. And as we've been trying to do more cybersecurity training and awareness, that there's really a need for a non-technical way to have cybersecurity information passed down to election authorities. When the EISAC was stood up, I think they thought the same recipe 
from the MSI SAC, which is completely cyber, was going to translate well to election officials. And the reason the ISAC was formed was because we realized that there wasn't a connective bridge from technical staff to the election officials. And so we wanted the ISAC is here to connect those two. Election officials are natural um, risk mitigators and problem solvers, but they weren't receiving the technical information that they needed for cyber threats, especially after 2016, there's a lot going on. But I do think that people are cyber fatigued right now. And all these products and information and communications were very cyber driven. For the last nine months as I've moved into this role, I have a creative background. And so it has been my personal project is to communicate in a language that election officials speak rather than binary ones and zeros. It's we're not speaking the same language. And at the end of the day, everybody is incredibly intelligent, but if I go up to a German speaker and I am speaking in Latin, obviously there's going to be a breakdown. So it's finding that bridge to communicate. And so what we've done is we've partnered with some incredibly talented folks who did a lot of usability testing with us to go back to the community to say, tear this apart and give us your complete honest feedback and how does this resonate with you? Because we may think that, you know, we've solved this problem. We have created communication that is perfect now. We think we, but we never go back to the client who are the election administrators and say, does this work for you? And so now we've changed our process where that's exactly what we do. So we've really taken a step back to provide our communication in just conversational language, but now everything should have an action item. So election officials, I think I've heard for the last four or five years is, don't click this link, don't open this PDF, don't do this. And you're like, we know that, we know that, we know that. Uh, we understand it's a problem, but what's your solution? And so now our goal at the II SAC is saying, so this is a problem you're facing, great. Here's a solution for it. And we're providing that in just like digestible bites I'm hoping to make it more beneficial. How does information come to the people at EIISAC? So information, A, we a lot of it is reported to us by our community, our membership. So building personal relationships with our community, the election community, I think they're more comfortable now coming to us and saying, look, I'm seeing this. I don't know if it's okay. I don't know if I'm overreacting. Can you look into it? And we have a great team of analysts who will look into a situation and do intelligence and let them know. We also have what's called Albert. Albert is an IDS, intrusion detected system, that is on every state for election offices. So it's either a board of election or secretary of state's office. And what that does is that takes that digestible information, that outbound network information, and comes to our security operations center where we have analysts analyze it to make sure if it's a real positive, false positive, and we can alert the office if we're seeing any malicious or questionable activity. And then it's a huge source of our intelligence. And then we have our cyber threat intelligence team that is able to use platforms provided to us to do intelligence and create patterns from this information that we're seeing. So a lot of it comes from that Albert IDS. 
And then a lot of it comes from self-reporting from our community of election officials and then other branches of government that we've partnered in, whether it be CISA, DHSINA, a fusion center, information sharing within our name. So we like to partner with as many people as possible to make sure threat information is being shared. Because if we just keep this information close to our chest, it's not helping anybody. So all different sources. The last point you made about the information sharing amongst your federal partners, because you mentioned earlier that EIISAC is, is not department or division of the federal government. You, you're funded by the feds, but strictly speaking, not the feds. So how is it that you're able to obtain all this information from them and, and share back and forth? I mean, there must be some type of agreement there. And is there any limit? I mean, are there things that the feds find out that the ISAC doesn't have access to and therefore election officials don't have access to? I can't give a concrete answer on that because if there's information that they're not sharing with us and I do not know about it, I'm sure that there is a classification process that they will notify us to the best of their ability, what they're allowed to. And the way that we share is I think people are comfortable knowing that the EIISAC is a third party nonprofit. What we do is when we take that intelligence and those notifications, we can autonomize that and then share the threats and the patterns that we're seeing without giving away personal details. And then we can also say, please reach out to so-and-so at CISA. CISA does have PSAs and CSAs in every state that are great resources for election officials, but we do like to share the threat and intelligent patterns that we develop with folks so they can also be on the lookout for that. What kind of trends and shifts have you seen from working with local election authorities? Um, has it been easier to convince more people to join? Was it about a lot of people joined in the beginning and now it's kind of tapering off or has there been no real up and down? In the beginning, there was a huge influx of membership. Um, and then we've kind of tampered off a little because we have the majority, we have over, I want to say, over 90% of the United States electorate as members. So there's that magical 8,800 number of election offices throughout the country, but a lot of them may be a township in Wisconsin with one part-time person. And so they, those folks may not be members but the state of Wisconsin is a member of their association and they do a lot of, of that sharing for us to make sure that we're touching those really small jurisdictions appropriately. Because if we're not, my personal belief is we're not helping you, we're hurting you because we are just putting things in your inbox that are taking your attention away from things you have to work on. So I wanna make sure that we have a proper communication channel and, um, so membership isn't as growing as rapidly as it was. However, considering the population that we cover, it's a really great number. Um, there's been a lot of change in the last three years that I have been here amongst election officials and their offices. And so that's the challenge for us is knowing that every state is different. Every state and jurisdiction runs elections differently. Some are political appointees, some have to run an election. 
to be put in their position. And so there has been turnover. And so our challenge is every time that we're able to locate or be notified of a turnover is bringing that new person up to speed of who we are and how we can help and support. And a trend is lately with so much disinformation, that is something that we've had to battle with to know to let folks know that we're here to help and prepare folks to have a secure election and a resilient community. So I will say 98% of folks are just happy we're here now that we've built that relationship to support them. But our challenge is keeping up with that constant change of election officials throughout the country, because we do do it for all 50 states and our territories. And one tribal community is an elections member. Well, I don't know the correct term for it, but I know Brianna's on it. The advisory board, the EIISAC board, whatever the correct name is. Do you want to talk a little bit about the role of that board and, um, you know, what, if anything, has changed as a result of the input from those election officials that the EIISAC consults with? Absolutely. So the EIISAC has an executive committee board, and it is made up of secretaries of state, state election directors, local election administrators, and then we also have state IT and local IT. And so what that is, is that is exactly that, an advisory board, and we're in the process of even like adjusting that charter to make sure that the executive board is really being run by the election community. I will say that we do have a couple new team members of election leadership coming on board and we listen to them. We listen to the board to say, what should, what are our goals? What should we focus on? So that topic where Brianna said, how are you going to connect and touch the election officials because you were so technical? So they told us this isn't resonating. It's not really helping. We heard that we hired um, the consultants to help us completely revamp how we were performing as a business, how we were communicating, what our communication looked like. And then another, another one was, we really want your leadership to be one of us. We want an election person really at the helm of the EISF because they understand the struggle that we go through. And so we heard that, we're listening, and we do have some really great talent coming on from the election community to help lead that, lead the helm of the EISF. So Without, without the executive committee holding us to the fire, we could just run off and get, think that we're doing a great job, but completely missing the mark. And so I think the executive committee is one of, one of my favorite parts of having the ISAC because you folks are on the ground doing it. We're observing it, but we are not in your shoes. And we can empathize with very little sleep and monitoring threats to elections, but you folks are the ones that are dealing with it. So we need that perspective, I think, to stay grounded and realistic to the community. And there's a lot of humility with usability testing and realizing the truth. And I'm all for constructive criticism. So we're looking forward to utilizing our executive committee even more. I'm curious what direction you see the organization going and what kind of goals, you know, what would happen if we got every single local election authority on board? What direction do you want to see us going? And what's like the, I don't know, not the end goal for, for EIISAC, but what is the um, hope that you have 
going into 2022? My hope for 2022 with EISOC is supporting those smaller jurisdictions more so than we have, is coming up with services that they can implement that are self-servicing, where there are things working in the background on their network, protecting them without them having to do it. So I think, I think literature and training is fantastic, but I think I want us to be really a supportive role for folks to know I'm, I'm really confused about this. I don't know if this is okay. Knowing that there's a specific designated team that they can just pick up the phone and call and we, we can look at something for them. But we have some services and pilot programs that we've rolled out that election officials can take advantage of at no cost, that they can run on their networks and their systems in the background to be preventative action. And so building a better relationship with those smaller communities and the local election officials, letting them know that there are these resources out there for them, I think is huge and playing a real-time support system when they have questions about these. Because I can say, point blue in the face that this is fairly funded and you don't have to sign a check for it, but I do understand that time is money and resource. Like if you're taking the time to implement something, that is time away from something else that you need to be working on. And so I want a better partner with those smaller jurisdictions to know, to work with them hand on hand of implementing these so they can really focus on running an election and knowing that there's security working for them in the background. Is there anything, Jess, that you would like to mention or maybe reemphasize that you wish especially local election administrators understood or knew better about EIISAC? I think if I were to put myself in their shoes, I think even just the name EIISAC, when I first started, I go, what is that? What is an ISAC and why does everything quasi-government have to be an acronym or an incredibly long name? <laughs> and so I would like them to know that when there's something they don't know about, there's a number they can call and they know exactly who's gonna pick up the phone. That the federal government has a ton of fantastic resources, but that we're also there and we're also humans behind the phone and behind the computer that I built a personal relationship with. And I think the term cybersecurity is scary for a lot of folks. And I think a miscommunication is someone may say, well, I have an IT director and I think they handle that. And I think what they don't understand is that IT doesn't equal cyber. And so everybody is wearing 10 different hats. And so I want them to know that if you're confused about something, chances are I've been confused about it. And people all over the country in your shoes have been confused about it. But there's a team here that can walk through it with you to support you. And I think reaching out to those locals, connecting with those associations, on letting them know that there are humans behind that are there to actually walk through the problem with them and help them and know that there is a company and a team of support. I don't know necessarily in the past that local election officials have been aware of us and know that we are a community of support behind them. And I would like to get that message out is that there are people that only exist to support them. That is the only reason we are here and I think hopefully new messaging, new leadership and everything, we have that opportunity to connect with them better. I kind of get a kick out of the traffic light protocol that you all use when you send us notifications on things. At the beginning, I was like, oh, I'll never get a, 
a red light one. And I did it at one, one time. Obviously, I won't mention what it was or anything, but that was like exciting in a way. <laughs> You're I'm, the I'm real curious. deal. You got a red light. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe you can't even say, but how urgent or pressing does something have to be to, to be red light on the protocol? And, you know, if an election official ever gets one of those, do they have instructions? This is what you should do right now kind of thing. So when we send a red, it absolutely will have some mitigation or instructions. And if not, call me immediately and ask for them. But they should always have them. So just because if it's a red, it's a, we need your attention. We want you looking at this immediately because it could be an immediate threat. And it's very specific to your election office. So you're not going to get a red light protocol um, email about somebody else. It's only going to be privately for you. So if you see anything red, open that immediately. That's like, we need your attention and we want you to know about it. And this is serious. Hopefully people don't get those too often, but it's, it's there to say some people, you know, you love to put filters on your email to keep it clean. And so that's why we try to do that. If we just sent out all the information and said, share it publicly, then unfortunately it's great information. But if you're, if someone posted something on a social media site, and malicious actors pick up on that, then they go, oh, I'm going to change my code because they've caught on to me. And so that's just a responsible way for sharing information. We want folks to know about it, but we only want you to tell your colleagues because once something's on the internet, it's on the internet. Even if things come down, it still exists. There's no swipe, there's no scraping that away. And so we just ask that certain things don't go public because it makes catching those bad guys a little more difficult. But yes, if you see anything in your inbox that's chilpy red, I would stop what you're doing and call our Ghostbuster number <laughs> and open that right away. That's something that it's like, if you don't know, if you do have an IT person, call them in right away to look at it. And if you don't, that's where you can call our security operations center. It's like that gym membership. If you don't use us, it can be expensive. But if you use us, take advantage. Yeah, I remember being a little bit like, well, who can I tell about this? You know, it's like, I call the IT department, but I don't know. Can I tell them? <laughs> yes, of course. They're within yeah. your organization. You absolutely. And if you're confused about what you can do with the colors, at the very end of any email, it's going to explain what that color stands for. So if it's white, green, amber, or red, and you don't remember, like, oh, what does this actually mean? I can't remember all these. I've got stuff I got to do. Scroll to the bottom of the email. And there's going to be a little snippet that says what it stands for. And I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for the ISAC. We have changed it where we'll put it at the top. So if we put a TLP white, I just put a little hyphen. It says share widely because nobody wants to go digging for information. So if it comes from my desk specifically, you're, it's going to say right up top, like share with your vetted partners and friends or share with your colleagues, share widely. And then you know right away like what you can do with that. All right, that was another episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins. Big thanks to Jess Cohn from the ISACs for being our guest today. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you listen next time to High Turnout, Wide Margins.